We have always existed, and we are still here. Telling the stories of those slung dead, we won't disappear. We're taking the pen back into our own hands. We live and we breathe and we keep creating, taking a stand. History is queerer than you. Hello and welcome to Making Queries for Podcast. I'm Will. And I'm Laura. And today is the, or this is the second part of our Black Queer History podcasts. <laughs> podcast episodes. This isn't an entire podcast about Black Queer History, but I've never seen one of those. So if we just gave someone an idea, take advantage of it. Yeah. Go make a Black Queer History podcast. Do it. I would listen to it. So I you have at least one, two people in your audience. Yeah. And that's more than I had when I started out. <laughs> That's that's more than uh, two times what I had. Laura starting out, hmm, no one has asked for this. <laughs> I'm going to create it. That's me every time I do anything. Like, you're right, though. Every time I create something, I'm like, hmm, no one's ever asked for this. I'm spending this time getting nachos out of my teeth. <laughs> What a monster. <laughs> Why are you like this? You gotta dig. weird how she like get it off her paws and then step back in yeah she's fixing it are you done Castiel there we go oh it smells really you have bad. to pet her it smells really I'm trying not to breathe <laughs> Fuck. Where were we? <laughs> no idea. Can I excuse some of that? Okay. Thank you. I have no clue. We were talking about um... this being a part two. Part one, part two. Pretty much. Yes. Oh no! Yeah, I was saying that. Uh, no one ever asked me to do what I do. I just do it, and that's what makes me amazing. You are incredible. Yes. <laughs> Um, we this have officially made a formal request for a Black Queer History podcast. Please, so I haven't seen that around. Or if there is one that exists that we haven't seen, email it into us. Send it in into our... us, and we will give it a shout out. Yeah, on our Wrecking the Queers uh, part of the podcast. Before we jump in, I guess we should go over that. Um, you can email us at queerhistorypatreon at gmail dot com. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on. 
Twitter, we're on Instagram, we're on Tumblr, we have a website. Our website is www.makingcareistory.com. If you're having trouble finding any of our social medias, just go to the website and you'll find it off that because we have all of them linked on there. Um, our website's amazing. Also, we are on Podbean, we're on Google Podcasts, I don't know what Play. the- Google Play. We're on Apple podcast and we're on every podcast thing that i can think of which is very limited so if you want us to be on another one tell us and then we'll add ourselves to it if it's free if it's not free we won't because we don't have much money and if you want to help us have more money you should check us out on patreon uh patreon.com slash queer history um patrons are what funds this project in its entirety you're what earns us like Ability to access research materials, um, pays us. Ability to pay rent. Ability to pay rent. Important. Vital. Vital. Um, It also, like, keeps our uh, website up, and it keeps our podcast going, and it keeps us being able to make merchandise, and just all the things, the little things that you don't think cost money that actually do cost money. Um, But all of those things are paid for using our Patreon, so if you want to see us keep doing all of those things, definitely become a patron. And you will also get cool little perks. Yeah, like there's such you'll cool get rewards. early podcasts, or you'll get some stickers, mm-hmm. or you'll get some a tote bag. I believe is the largest thing you can get. Yeah. <clears throat> and soon, hopefully, you will also be able to have a Discord hangout with us. Exactly. One of our upcoming rewards or goals is that we can have a Discord hangout with all of our amazing Patreons or patrons, and um. If you're at all interested in that, you have to become a patron because you are not a part of this chat if you're not a patron. I'm sorry. That's just how it works. All of our stuff is up for free, um, just so you know, except for like merchandise, which you do have to, in fact, buy. Um, But everything that we can make free, we have made free. Um, This is just for a little chat. So we don't really count it as like a, a thing. It's just like you talk to us, which we don't believe anyone should have to like, would want to like... <laughs> would want as much as like our patrons would so we're just chatting with our patrons and our patrons are really really cool people so if you want to chat with cool people including us you should become a patron um but will mentioned uh that you get early access to podcast episodes which is why you're hearing our black history month podcast episode way after black history month you're welcome we're keeping black history month going because it's a great month um, the reason that actually we are doing a two-parter with this, and we're also like, there's actually like a whole confluence of events that have led to this being a two-parter and have led to you hearing this in like March and April or whatever, um, is actually, first, we didn't, one of our articles wasn't about Black history this month, which was because it like, we, we expected it to come a little earlier than it, whatever. Either way, one of our articles this month was not about Black history. So... We wanted to do a little extra content on Black History to make up for that. Um, also, me and Will had an entire month-long cold. Not February, but January. We had an entire month of just a terrible cold that we sounded horrible. We still sound a little rough, actually. Yeah, we do. Um, but we we had this awful cold. And like not the way that like when you're listening to a podcast and they're like, oh, we have a cold. And then you don't hear it at all the entire episode. And you're like, okay, sure. 
I was constantly sniffling. Not only constantly sniffling, but like our voices sounded like horrible. So we decided not to put you through that. And we were like, okay, we'll just like wait an extra week uh, before recording it. And then the entire month we were sick. So we we're like, okay, we're just going to like postpone the podcast until we're like somewhat healthy. Which and this we're is, at now. We're at now. And it just happened to fall into the fact. So we had to do a two part episode or not two part, but we had to do two episodes in one month because of that. So they're both going to be Black Queer History Month. Exactly. They're both going to be Black Queer History Month. So you're welcome for yeah. making Black History Month a teeny bit longer for you. Uh, if you haven't listened to the first part, we talked about Marsha P. Johnson and Josephine Baker. And we're, yeah, we're looking at two different people instead of just one person. And these are all people who were covered in the previous version of our podcast. So we have full podcast episodes on them. We're not like giving you less content. We're actually giving you a 0.5% more on each person. We really are. We also have existing articles on all these people. So if you're interested in learning more, this is just going to be a basic overview because while I was doing um, a whole bunch of black queer history content on our social medias, I found out that our whole bunch of ones that we had covered that people didn't recognize. And that's fine because... History is not really... The history we're telling is not always history that is being told, and history can always be confusing, so it's okay to not know things. Exactly, and also we have over a hundred... Or not episodes. We have over a hundred articles up, so we don't expect everyone to have read every single one of them. We have significantly over a hundred now, so you Mm -hmm. should become a patron just for that reason. But... We have over 100 articles, so it's totally fine that some of you don't recognize every single art person we've done an article on. So we wanted to just go over it again so we could just, like, talk about it. And these are some of my favorite, favorite, favorite people I've ever written articles about. So and it was so sad. Rants. Exactly. And it was so sad that I didn't get to do um, a podcast episode, so we've decided to do 0.5 of a podcast episode. So I'm I'm unhappy. I'm excited. This episode is going to be about uh, Fanny and my lady mm-hmm. and Langston Hughes. So that's what we're going to be talking about. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Yeah, that's it. So we're just going to go ahead and dive in right away. Starting with uh, Fanny and Viola Edie. Yeah. I, this is like one of the people I feel like is lesser talked about in Black and History. Oh, really quick before we start. Oh, I feel so bad. Um, Just so you know, we are also going to be covering only... um. For our Wrecking the Queers, we're going to be covering Black Queer People for that as well, to celebrate Black history. Yeah, which is exciting. Yeah. I just thought I should clarify that, because, yeah. Last episode, uh, we talked vaguely about uh, Nasra. Nasra, who's an amazing spoken word poet, who runs this uh, Edmontonian project called Black Black Arts Arts Matter. Matter. So uh, go back, listen to our previous episode. And Uh, hear about them. Yeah, and also check them out on social media. Mm -hmm. And support Black Arts Matter. And support black arts. Yeah, just general support black arts. Yeah. Anyways, Fanny Ann Viola Edie. Sorry for interrupting. It's okay. Uh, Fanny Ann Viola Edie was uh, born in Sierra Leone in 1974. Mm -hmm. And uh, she's one of the people in queer history I feel like is very less talked about. Oh yeah, 100%. Because all these other people that we're covering in these episodes specifically are really large names and you say them, people are immediately like, oh, <laughs> I know this thing, or I know this thing, or I know this thing. Specifically. It's because they're American. It's because they're American. You're right. Yeah, You're uh, right. Josephine Baker was technically French, but she was born in America so people are like, the American. And I'm like, fight me. No. Okay. Y'all don't know how many times I've read an article about Josephine Baker and it's been like, the exotic. And I'm like, you're an American news site. She's, not, she's from America. She's not exotic. 
What the? She's she's black. She's, I, I think the word you're looking for is black. black. But either way, sorry. That was just like a, a side note that I just remembered. But this one is actually a person, a woman from Sierra Leone. And I did a whole bunch of research. Now it's all gone. She did a lot of really cool work, mm-hmm. uh, especially with, um, like, in the, within like justice mm-hmm. and criminal law, I yeah. believe. And it was, yeah, I read a little bit about what she was talking about and how she was framing it. She spoke to the UN. Mm-hmm. Uh, she started Sierra Leone's first uh, gay and lesbian association. Yeah, she did a whole bunch of things around that, around legal and, like, creating organizations for people from Sierra Leone to, like, feel safe and feel, like, able to exist as their full selves. Um, She was actually also a fun fact from the history of this project. She was the, at one point, the most contemporary figure we had done. And she was the one who actually clarified how we were going to record history um and like what our cutoff date would be and we decided um that we'd only ever talk about people who had already died and never anyone who was currently living and she was the reason that we decided that just because like she died so recently i think it's 2012 right i thought it was 2004 it might have been 2004 we'll look that up i will check um, but she died so recently and I was like, Ooh, does that really count as history? But I just loved her story so much and I was so interested in her entire life, really, and all the work shit that she did in Sierra Leone that I was just like, Okay, let's let's cover her and the rule will be we are only covering people who have already died. And it's it's actually a pretty great rule and it's like really worked with this project a lot because like a lot of what we do is around giving the narratives back to the people. That's why we start every episode, or, well, every, um, not podcast episode, but every article with a quote, because we think it's so important to, like, give that voice back to people. And all of this is about returning the voices back to the people. Um, so, yeah, she was really the person who inspired that philosophy. So, yeah, she deserves a lot of credit. She, uh... She died in 2004. She died in 2004. I'm sorry, everyone. I'm really, really bad at dates. And she was she was a lesbian, mm-hmm. I believe. I'm not sure if she ever uh, described herself as a lesbian, but I know. I, <clears throat> I think she did, but like, just be like, she was a lesbian. She was a lesbian, and while a lot of countries, uh, Sierra Leone among them, have like. Um, made sexual acts between two men illegal. Sexual acts between two women aren't necessarily illegal because it seems as impossible or Mm -hmm. because women don't have sexual agency. And, like, there's this entire level of, like, I guess it's not illegal, but it's also a sexist sort of... And it doesn't mean that they don't ever, like, face any form of discrimination. It just means that they don't face legal um discrimination like the the discrimination they face isn't coming directly from the law even though people who enforce the law definitely discriminate against uh queer women in those areas and yeah it's uh it's definitely a form of showing that it comes from colonialism because that's like a very colonialist attitude that like women don't have enough control over their sexual agency to even want to have sex outside of men much less actually have sex without men involved at all but like it, it's definitely a form of colonialism in that way and a really good show that that's where the roots of that come from. But also it's for 
Sierra Leone, it's it's definitely and for most countries, it's definitely not a sign that people don't face discrimination. It's just a sign that they face a different form of discrimination than uh, men who are in relationships with men face. And men who are in relationships with men face a very dangerous form of discrimination as well. And they also, like, they face a much more legal form of discrimination than women who are in relationships with women face. So it's... There are intersections. There, exist, it's, there it's a very complex issue. And it, it's a lot... It's a lot of the time really dismissed as a someone experiences more discrimination than the other, either which way, whoever the person who's making the argument thinks it is. But it's actually much more complex than that, especially when you look on an individual by individual basis. Because while there is no uh, legal form of discrimination or like you, you, there's no law against it. It doesn't mean that there isn't ways that people make sure that it doesn't crop up or silence people mm-hmm. who identify with being attracted to women or are in relationships with women. Mm-hmm. She left Sierra Leone uh, for a couple of years mm-hmm. during a civil war. Yeah, when she was a refugee for a little while. And then she returned back home in 2002 because yeah. she... While she could have kept living on everywhere, anywhere else, she she realized that she wanted to go back and she wanted to fight for more, mm-hmm. for better rights for queer people. And that's what she spent the rest of her life doing. Mm-hmm. So, she's like I like mentioned previously, she, she founded the Sierra Leone Lesbian and Gay Association, which was the first time anything like that had happened in Sierra Leone. Mm-hmm. She talked a lot about how this, the justice system treats queer people versus how it treats non-queer people. Mm-hmm. And she was, I wouldn't say baffled by the results, but very angered by it. Frustrated, yeah. Yeah, frustrated is a good <clears throat> word. And then she spoke to the UN about it. She tried to push some laws throughs. Um, we actually have the quote uh, from her talk at the UN right here. Uh, silence creates vulnerability. You, members of the Commission of Human Rights, can break the silence. You can acknowledge that we exist throughout Africa and on every continent, and that human rights violations based on sexual orientation or gender identity are committed every day. You can help us combat these violations and achieve our full rights and freedoms in every society, including my beloved Sierra Leone. Such a good quote. It gives me shivers. Yeah, it's a great one. Um, And yeah, she worked a lot with... uh, legal battles uh, specifically because of her privilege of not being against the law her life not being against the law and her identity not being against the law and she definitely used that privilege where she could have as as, like her quote says she could have stayed in silence she could have like lived a very quiet life and maybe avoided a lot of the discrimination that she in the end faced but she decided against that to support other queer people throughout the country and to like make sure that everyone could exist without laws being put against their existence, really. And while I believe, and while I believe, <coughs> sorry, it's okay. And while I believe the law wasn't actually passed when she asked for it, mm-hmm. I still think it is an important work to point out. Yeah, definitely. And it was passed years, a couple of years later mm-hmm. after her death. Yes, 
Um, she was also um, a mother. She had a son and she had a long-term partner named Esther. And wherever she was, she would, because she did a lot of global work talking to the UN and stuff like that, wherever she was, she would make sure every day to call her son and talk to him for a little while, which I think is just like a really cool fact to know. And yeah. I love... I love, again, uh, how we're talking about last episode, how both Marsha P. and Josephine Baker are incredibly complex figures and they exist with all these multitudes to mm-hmm. them. And I think Fanny Ann Viola is also one of these people who exists with so many multitudes. Mm-hmm. Like, here she is. She's she's fighting for justice. She's talking to the UN. But then she's also calling her son literally every day. Mm-hmm. And she has all this trauma previously mm-hmm. in her life with being a refugee. Mm-hmm. But then she's also existing just really incredibly bravely. Mm -hmm. I have a love for complex people. Yeah, same. And I think there are a lot of avenues of her life that we can talk about, or we could talk about in an entire seven, like, year documentary, honestly. There's just so much to talk about with her. Just let us talk about her for seven years. Exactly. She's just an amazing, amazing actress. She's definitely one of the favorite ones that I've ever talked about. I've, I've never... There are, uh, this sounds harsh, but there are, there are definitely, like, articles that I've written, because I've written over a hundred, that, like, sort of, like, are in the back of my mind, never in the front, but she's definitely one that I always think about, and one that always, like, makes me think, and that al- I always bring up in my own head. And it's really disappointing, because I don't see much work on her, in general. Like, we were talking, um, last podcast episode about how, like, Marsha P. Johnson gets, like, a lot of, like, well-deserved representation, like, people talk about her a lot. Even though there are some people, Roland Emmerich, uh, who try to ignore her life. <laughs> but there are definitely a lot of queer projects that talk about her. Fanny Ann uh, Viola Eady is not one of those people. And I really wish she was because I'd like to learn a lot more about her and a lot more about her life. And saying that, um, it, it comes to the, the obvious thing that we have to bring up is that her life didn't last mm-hmm. very long. She died very young uh, in 2004, as we said earlier. What happened, I'm just going to give a little content warning before we jump into it. We're not going to talk about any details, but we are going to mention uh, sexual assault and murder. Um, She was sexually assaulted and and murdered in her office in uh, Sierra Leone by a group of men. Uh, Her murder is still unsolved, or I'm going to put air quotes up, unsolved, because just as she worked, she, she worked on this a lot when she was alive on making sure that like acknowledging that even if uh being certain avenues of being queer wasn't legal that didn't mean that the officers of the law were good and like would actually like support these people it meant that the officers of the law couldn't legally do anything but they would do things in anyways um specifically in this case um the police force was just deliberately incompetent and it brought a whole bunch of outrage from the global community because it was obvious that they were not trying to catch these men. Um, and though they had one man in custody for a couple days, he quickly, again, I'm going to put up air quotes, escaped. Um, and there that. was never any trial. Hate uh, that. Yeah. It, it's uh, legally, they technically weren't supposed to be like, well, 
legally they weren't like there wasn't grounds to discriminate against this person but at the same time they were just like uh it's a queer person so whatevs mm-hmm. and it's just they were not searching for justice and the global community talked about it a lot but there still has not been anyone who was um arrested and tried for her murder and yeah that's I, I like. I wish I could say something uplifting after that. Like, yeah, no, it's horrible. But this is a nice thing that's happened. But there's no nice thing. She died, and she shouldn't have. Yeah. Ooh. Sorry to like. If you want to learn more about Fanny and Lil, mm-hmm. we have another podcast episode from the yes. old version of our podcast, and yep. then there's also a full article that you can read. Yes, and if you have any um, recommendations, actually, for anything to read or learn about uh, Fanny and Viola Eddy. I would really appreciate that because I'm always on the search for more stuff about her life. I'm not going to write another article, obviously, but I just like learning about her life specifically. There's just like something about her story that really never let go of me. And I would really, really, really love the opportunity to learn more about her. So if you have any suggestions or recommendations, I would love that. Um, it You can send it in at queerhistorypatreon at gmail.com and I will probably buy whatever it is like immediately and i won't use um our research money because this will be a personal thing this won't be for the project that's just like a personal request if you have anything (laughs) on her um these are actually two very personal stories for me um fanny and because her story affected me very very deeply and it still affects me a lot um and langston hughes who we're moving on to because he has since high school been my favorite poet of all time it's actually sort of interesting how i found him um i didn't find him in class like you'd hear like from high school he's my favorite like i i got assigned to him you know uh what happened was i i had this like uh my mom had this kindle that she gave to me because it wasn't working properly so you know um i i got it and i i was going through all these like free books that you could download and it was specifically classics that because they were in the public domain and there was a free uh, Langston Hughes poetry book that I could download, and and I didn't, I had never heard of Langston Hughes before, not once. And I downloaded this book, and I got to read all of his poetry, and I just absolutely fell in love with it. Before we jump in, actually, I'm this person. I he's my favorite poet and I wanted to read one of his poems just to give like a little context before we jump into his poetry. So it's called I Too by Langston Hughes. I too sing America. I am the darker brother they send me to eat in the kitchen when company comes but I laugh and eat well and grow strong. Tomorrow I'll be at the table when company comes. Nobody will dare say to me eat in the kitchen then. Besides they'll see how beautiful I am and be ashamed. I too am America. So we're going to start off with that amazing poem. um, And we're also going to end on a poem. This one specifically, I just adore as well. I'm so excited. I I, I love this uh, poet so much. And finding out he was queer, which I only found out um, within the last four years, was so impactful for me. I'm just gushing. I'm just completely fanning out. But like, I love his art so, so much. And I'm very excited to read the next poem out at the very end of us talking about him. But let's dive into him before I go like completely just like rant mode. He, Mr. Langston Hughes, was a huge part of the Harlem Renaissance. Yeah. 
And I feel like me, at least, is one of those things that you never really get taught about. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially as someone from Northern Europe. Yeah. Never talked about the Harlem Renaissance. We didn't learn is... about it in Canada either. Okay, um, well, that's not good. <laughs> but, you know. They, they, they make a very... They pick what American history to teach us, and they pick it on a specific part criteria. They specifically really, whiteness. They really they they do that. Uh, he was born to actually a mixed race couple mm-hmm. uh, as early as 1902 in Missouri. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that must have been interesting. Yep. Yeah, interesting is a way to put it. Definitely. Yeah, his his parents divorced. He grew mm-hmm. up with his grandparents. Mm-hmm. Side note, I think we've talked about this a couple times in the project, but like just to like sidetrack completely, it's always really interesting to me, um, in, in who as someone who exists in a lot of like queer spaces, when people are like, straight people will never understand what it's like to have your love made illegal. And I'm like, interracial couples. Like that was illegal. Like y'all understand that, right? Like I'm I'm concerned that no one y'all don't know. Or like straight white people. Yeah. Don't understand. Well, like, even they do understand, because they could have been an interracial couple. That's fair, but, like... Like, they could be one of the... interracial couples. Whites. Straight Straight white heterosexual heterosexual couples. couples. Yes, they do not understand, but even so, like, yes, people other than... And queer people have experienced discrimination for their relationships. I I hope y'all know this. (laughs) Like, I'm concerned y'all don't. That was just, like, a complete side note. Um, But interracial couples also experienced legal discrimination because of their relationships. So let's not forget that, please. <laughs> and I, I'm assuming that that also did definitely affect Langston Hughes. Mm-hmm. He, growing up, he went to uh, a school, mostly a desegregated school, and he was the only black person. Yeah. And that must have also been interesting. Yeah. You can see all of this feed into his poetry, mm-hmm. sort of, with like, how he talks about race in his poems. Mm-hmm. And I, I believe he, he wrote from a really young age. He was yeah. like the class poem, poet. Yeah. And he kept writing poetry. And you can definitely see how affected everything from a young age was by by race. Yes, that sentence did not make sense. It didn't. But you, do you know what? It worked. It worked. I think Thank everyone you. understands what you're trying Thank to say. Thank you. And I just like... Yeah, that's probably like one of the most interesting things about his poems is how how heavy topics they talk about, but also how easy to read they are. Because mm-hmm. they're not like so many poets talk in very talk using very diff- difficult words or, or uncertain very, terms. Yeah, and they're all very like dependent on previous knowledge of poetry and previous knowledge of language or or just like previous knowledge of like symbolicism yeah. or all of these things that like that you need to understand you need so much context to understand mm-hmm. so much of poetry as someone who's studying english right now i'm like some of these poem poems i can barely grasp and you need to have all this intertextual knowledge and education to get it yeah and like langston hughes definitely has like poetry that you can analyze for like 72 hours and still be thinking but one of the like main components of it is that it's understandable to people who maybe haven't gotten extreme levels of academic education yeah which was really important specifically in that time period because the people he was writing towards and his main audience was black people and a lot of black people were not given the education that they should have been given and like 
there was a whole bunch of work that he did around making his poems readable and about making his poems accessible to people, even people who couldn't read, which is something that you wouldn't automatically think of when you think of poetry because, you know, reading is a huge part of it. But he, like, was a huge part in creating spoken word as it exists today. Which is really cool. Specifically so he could read it out loud to people so people could hear his poems even if they couldn't read it themselves. And it was all about being accessible to different levels of education and about being accessible to many people as possible and he was just like his poetry was incredible and when everyone else at the time was trying to like copy Shakespearean poetry he just went completely different direction which was amazing but actually in my opinion much more true to the spirit of what Shakespeare wrote because like Shakespeare was all about connecting to people of all different education levels above all different classes and being readable like his work is not in iambic pentameter because that's super like artsy it was in iambic pentameter because that's easier for actors to memorize it was in iambic pentameter so that people could read it easier or could have an easier time on having it read to them and like no one talks about that and no one talks about all these really important things that Shakespeare did to make his work accessible to people if he could but they like they don't talk about that and so because right now it's hard to accept like access him because the language is outdated now it's hard to access but then it wasn't the whole point was that you were able to access that it was words that everyone recognized and they were also written to be spoken right they were written to be spoken which is another also did so he well definitely not taking inspiration from the letter of uh shakespeare the spirit of shakespeare of accessibility is definitely definitely there where everyone else was completely ignoring what actually like made shakespeare an amazing poet and playwright who still exists and his work still exists today. They were ignoring what actually made that happen. Langston Hughes was doing what actually made that happen. I'm not saying I, 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 I haven't done like a whole bunch of classes on this or anything, but like, I wouldn't say that Langston Hughes was like super inspired by Shakespeare or anything, but I would definitely say that the spirit of Shakespeare's work is honored much better in Langston Hughes' work than it has ever been honored on the people who lived at that time who were obsessing over Shakespeare and who were like being like completely up their own asses about how important Shakespeare was to literature, but they didn't actually understand what made him important. And I think that's just like such an interesting thing because like this, there's this one person whose like whole legacy is that he ignored Shakespeare's legacy And then then he lives it. He lives it way better than anyone who is obsessed over it. And I just think that's incredibly, incredibly interesting. And I think that's just a real show of how people can get so obsessed over following the aesthetics of a person's work while ignoring the spirit of a person's work. And it's just, it's, it's really interesting to me how those, like, two things existed at the same time and how Langston Hughes just made this absolutely groundbreaking work while everyone else who was just working on copying a person while not even understanding what that person's about and like as an artist myself who's a writer sometimes you can see that when someone's so obsessed with someone's work that they kind of ignore what it was really about when they ignore the context of it i think um a big example i'm gonna go a little off topic but a big example of that for me is the iron giant That's like a huge nerd reference, right? It's like 
the cool edgy hipster like a uh, movie that was like all about um like this cool robot and it wasn't very popular because the man tried to stop it right and like so like all these edgy nerd hipsters are like the iron giant wearing these t-shirts specifically ready player one is what i'm talking about um but they completely ignore the fact that this movie was made redbird who made it because his sister got murdered and he was it was an anti-gun violence movie that's what it was about. It was against gun violence. His sister was murdered, and this is the movie he made. And everyone just ignores that. And specifically, Ready Player One bothered me so much because it's like this movie that, like, and this book that is inherently focusing and glorifying uh, gun violence and violence in general. And it's like, oh, yeah. Uh, this nerd man is so powerful, let's watch him shoot guns at people, look at how powerful that makes him, while they're referencing at the same time all these movies and all these films that were literally about how horrible and how heartbreaking that can be, and how it can destroy lives, and how it's not this like fun, cool action hero thing, it's actually this horrifying, being a weapon is not a good thing. And that movie just... Mm, it just ignores it it just rails all over it and they just completely ignore the spirit of it while they're so focused on the aesthetics of it on like having the iron giant on a gosh darn t-shirt and you know how many times i saw a t-shirt of the iron giant i got so excited and then i saw it was like it was like a ready player one merch and i was like really really you didn't understand it though i'm worried you you didn't get it and i hate being that like pretentious person but you didn't get what it was about, what it was based in, and all the love that was poured into it, and why it existed. And if you don't get why it existed, then I don't think you can do a fitting tribute of it. And I think that's definitely something that is uh, common in a lot of artists. A lot of forgotten artists from around the time of the Harlem Renaissance are forgotten because they were more focused on the aesthetics of following Shakespeare poetry than they were on the spirit of Shakespeare poetry. And I just, I think that's a really valuable lesson to just like keep in your mind whenever you're trying to honor an artist or an art form is just to be like, am I honoring the aesthetics or am I honoring the art? And I know I sound super pretentious right now. I'm so sorry. I'll stop talking. <laughs> you're like, you're right though. And like Langston Hughes, possibly without meaning to, I don't want to say without meaning to, because he, he pro he's definitely read a whole bunch of Shakespeare, right? But, like, at the same time, I'm not sure if his intent was originally that. But even if it wasn't his intent, his impact was that he created this amazing, amazing artwork that was way closer to the, to the spirit of Shakespeare than any of the other copycats were. Because he wrote for the people. Yeah. He which wrote for important. everyone. He didn't exactly. write for the elite. He wrote for everyone about himself, but mm -hmm. also about everyone. It's almost like when you create your own art artwork, you're closer to your heroes than when you try to copy theirs. But yeah, like, uh, I Am America. I Am so, America, yeah. Is I like, Too Am America. I Too Am America. Oh, wait, shoot. Which one are you referencing? The one that I read just now? The one that you read just now. Okay, yeah. Uh, it's That one is just I Too. I Too is just like, it just speaks on so many levels. It speaks on so many levels, and it's just so easy to grasp, though. Yeah. Because like, you're, like, you're like, oh, okay, there's, there's nothing hidden. Mm -hmm. Like, maybe there are, but like, even if you don't get what's hidden... You get the message. Yeah. 
and you're able to understand it upon first read, which was actually 100% what drew me to him originally, is that I was like, oh, this isn't something that I have to spend six hours researching. This is just a book that I can read and enjoy. And like, and then once I fell in love with it, I did more research. And instead of like it being like this impossible Rubik's Cube, it was like this thing where you peeled back more and more layers and you just found out more. It was like this beautiful flower that just like kept blooming the more I thought about it instead of some difficult puzzle I had to solve, which I just appreciated so much at that age because, you know, sometimes stuff makes you feel stupid. Like reading those like really pretentious uh, poems that we were forced to read in high school. Yeah. You're like, wait, what? Mm. What are you trying to, could you just. And, and Langston told us what he was trying to say. And then the more you thought about it, the more you knew about it, which is one of the best ways to create art. And I think it's really nice because he was also really inspired by like his, the people he surrounded himself with. Exactly. And he was also really inspired by like his ancestry. He was really fascinated by African, African stories mm-hmm. and African folk tales. And he wrote a lot inspired by blues songs, mm-hmm. which I'm also like, yes. <laughs> Those were the artists he was inspired by. Yeah. These are like, he surrounded himself with people, other people who also created art. And he drew inspiration from all of the other people that were on his level. Mm-hmm. He didn't bother with with some foreign figure from hundreds of years ago. He was like, right now, right here, this is when we're making history. Mm -hmm. And that's what matters. Exactly. And I think that's just really good. That is really good. Also, he was gay. Yes. He was just gay. Yes. He didn't talk about it much, but he actually did go to a drag show sometimes and then like ballroom culture with some of his friends. I don't think there's any record of him like actually participating in the drag himself. But there's definitely a record of him, like, going to the shows. Uh, there's also a whole bunch of, like, circumstantial evidence. But, like, y'all know what I mean. Like, there was uh, an entire short story he wrote that was semi-autobiographical. And that was clearly, like, about his own experiences um, as a gay man. Um, and as a person, a gay person who was um, trying to, like, reconcile being gay with their father's legacy. There's only a couple things in which he references queerness, but it's interesting. It's interesting to read the things that do reference queerness. Mm. Um, there's also, specifically in our artists, uh, in our article, we talk a little bit about how there was this, like, these two strings that were, like, fighting each other, where it was, like, half people were like, he was gay! And the other pack was like, he was an artiste, he was too interested in his art to be interested in sex at all. I don't know what accent that was. I think... I, mm, no. No, no, mm. okay, it was just bad. It was just bad. Yeah, it was like half, like, vague French, but like pretentious French. Yeah, it was pretentious French. Yeah. pre <laughs> High five. Either way, <laughs> super pretentious people, <laughs> but there might be actual truth in both of those things. He might not have been interested in sex. There's actually a little bit of proof that, like, he wasn't sexually attracted to people, it looks like. There are a lot of okay. evidence that... But there's also a lot of evidence that he's gay. And those things don't have to cancel each other out. They don't have to be a battle. They can coexist. Exactly. He could have been a gay, asexual man. It's also possible that he was gay. And everything else, all the other proof, is not really proof. And it's just people trying to erase his sexuality. But I think it's reasonable to at least consider the possibility that maybe he was asexual and a gay man. And those two things coexisted at the same time. Wild concept. I'm not going to say I have like the perfect answer for that. But I definitely think it's something we can talk about and we can explore as an idea. And that's where the complexities of identities, right? Exactly. Because sometimes things aren't 
surprisingly simple. Exactly. All right. Is that all we have on him or do we have more? That's it. Uh, poem? Oh yeah. I just wanted to end off on another one of his poems. This one's uh, also a favorite of mine. This one is called uh, Jukebox Love Song. I could take the Harlem night and wrap around you, take the neon lights and make a crown, take the Lenox Avenue buses, taxis, subways, and for your love song tone their rumble down. Take Harlem's heartbeat, make a drum beat, put it on a record, let it whirl, and while we listen to it play, dance with you till day, dance with you, my sweet brown Harlem girl. Yeah. That's really good. It's so good. It's okay, so cool. good. His work is just... There's a reason he's my favorite poet. It's not just like a pick out a hat. Mm, no. His work is incredible. So for uh, Wrecking the Queers. Wrecking the Queers. Um, that's me. That's me. I need to recommend. Yes, I have um, a project that I want to recommend. Specifically, it actually has relevance to my current life, which is wild. Um, I haven't watched this so get ready to call me out, y'all. Exciting. This is actually a, a film that I haven't watched because I specifically, I heard about it and I was like, do you know what? More than anything in the world, I want to watch this in a group. I want to watch this in a group setting and just like experience it with community because I know it just like felt like a community film. Does that make sense? Like the first time mm -hmm. I watched Moonlight, I watched it with a community. Mm -hmm. The first time I've watched all these amazing queer films, I've watched them with a community and that's been so important to me. Like Pride, I watched that in like a community event. And I don't know if anyone can relate to this at all, but like watching queer films surrounded by queer people is so impactful for me. And it like completely changes the experience. Actually, the second queer film I ever watched, like, this sounds weird. I, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you like a personal life story. Uh, the second queer film I ever watched was, was Pride. And I watched it as this little thing, a little like movie night, like queer movie night uh, in my town. And just watching that and watching it around other queer people and seeing other queer people around me, like, it shaped me in such a fundamental way and later um my brother he drove me home um at that point I was out to my family and I was having a hard time of it because there were some things going on that that weren't great and I was realizing on the drive home I was like I'm moving from this environment of just feeling so at home and so full and so understood and I'm headed to this environment where I was not feeling that at that time and I just started crying I just cried and my brother looked at me and he's like what's what's going on and I just look at him and I'm like I don't I don't want to go home and he's like okay and he just like nods his head and he turns on Johnny Cash and we were at that point home. Like we were, we were right outside and then he goes around the block and then he goes around the block and then he goes around the block and he spent a good 30 minutes just going around the block, not talking, not asking me any questions, just going around the block. And that's one of my fondest memories of my brother 
who it's still alive. It sounded like he wasn't still alive, um, but he's still alive. Um, he he's doing great. But that's one of my fondest memories of my brother, and one of my fondest memories of all time. And I just sort of wanted to share that. I realize I'm sharing that with like hundreds of people, but um, yeah. So watching queer films in a community setting is actually a huge part of how I enjoy them. And it makes it better for me. It makes the experience so much more. And I think it just makes everything richer. So, um, the movie that I'm talking about and that I went on that long preamble about is Rafiki. Uh, we did an article, uh, 18 good news stories that came out of 2008, 18, <laughs> 2008, uh, 2018. Um, and one of them was that Rafiki came out. Uh, it's this amazing, uh, Kenyan film, just incredible. You should watch it. Watch um, it. Definitely watch it. Watch Rafiki. If you're in Edmonton, though, you should definitely watch it, but not right now, or maybe right now if you want to, but you should watch it again in June because we were, we we're doing this thing where I'm working on helping organize a community watching of Rafiki. And there will be a for panel. Month, there'll be a panel. And it's really exciting. It's so exciting. I'm like... Community is such a huge part of, like, watching queer films for me. It's such a huge, like, uh, two soft things. Just, like, so many queer movies that, like, deeply impacted me just come from watching them with community. I for think it changed contrast, the yeah. first queer movie I watched yeah. was Brokeback Mountain. Yeah. I was home alone. Yeah. Stressed out because I knew my parents were coming home and yeah. I didn't want them to know. Yeah. And then I went to Brokeback Mountain because I knew it was gay. Yeah. And it was not what I expected. Yeah. And then I cried. Super. Yeah. The first queer movie I watched, because this was the second one. Oh, yeah. The first queer music movie I watched was Rent. Oh. And uh, I watched Rent. And then I did a whole bunch of research into queerness and then a whole bunch of research. And I didn't know I was queer at that time. Uh, I did a whole bunch of research into queerness and then a whole bunch of research into AIDS because I was like, how do I make sure I'm safe? And I did like learn a whole bunch more about like safe sex and stuff like that. Yeah. There you go. So first queer film. Actually, like if y'all want to, you don't have to because like I know it can be a very personal experience, but send in to us your first queer film watching experience. Just send it in on email. Um, tell us if you can, we can read it out on the podcast or not. If we can't, that's totally fine. I don't mind. We won't read it out. But I if love we that. can... I love that. You can also tell us about the first queer book you read if you want to. Yes. Uh, like, the first big queer media thing that you've seen. Ideally movie, like, that's our hope. But if you can't, if you don't, like, have a memory of that, your first impactful queer media experience. I would love to read that. Um, we'll wait until this episode's out for, not, for non-patrons as well before we reference it, because I want our non-patrons to also be able to get these things in but patrons please do send those in too uh i would love to just like have a little time reading out all these amazing queer films and like tell us good or bad your experience being how you reacted to it was it a will experience watching brokeback mountain and it sobbing and just terrible being, like, horrible or was it a me experience in after watching rent being driven home by your brother who actually you know helped you out a little bit Tell us about it. And us, watch Rafiki. I know we didn't actually talk a lot about the movie itself. Oh yeah, I'm so sorry. We'll like we'll link a whole bunch of information about it in the the. But we're we're running out of time now. We're yeah. We're already stretching. 
So watch Rafiki. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for listening. Happy yeah. extended Black Queer History Month. Yeah. Exciting things. Oh, yeah. I know uh, for those of you who are, have gotten this podcast right away, March 4th is coming up. Yeah. It, which it's is the anniversary of our podcast. And Laura's or, birthday. And my birthday. It's not the anniversary of our podcast. It's the anniversary of our entire project. Yeah. I started this project on my birthday. Celebrate with me. Yes. It's been three years. Woo. That's awesome. Three years? Four years. Four years. Maybe. Four years. Yeah. I think four years. Something. We've existed. Something like that. Yeah. So uh, celebrate with us as soon as you hear this uh, podcast. Mm-hmm. And thank you so much for listening. Yeah. All right. Thank you for listening. Take care of yourselves and each other. And remember, history, history is queer than you think. We have always existed and we are still here. Telling the stories of those slung dead, we won't disappear. We're taking the pen back into our own hands. We live and we breathe and we keep creating, taking a stand. History is queerer than you think. Yes, we will continue. Yes, we will improve. Making history is just what we do. Yes, we will keep growing. Yes, we'll never stop. Every step we're taking is history. We hold our own future, we learn from the past. They've tried to remove our legacy, but we are built to last. So listen to the stories, cause they'll help us grow. From Sappho to Frida Kahlo, there's always more to know. History is queerer than you think. Yes. Yes, we will improve Making history is just what we do Yes, we will keep growing Yes, we'll never stop Every step we're taking is history in the making Yesterday, today, tomorrow We have been and will always be